Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you there, and it's great to hear you saying good morning. And as one of the preteens went out, she said, nice outfit. That makes me feel good. So we're really a community here. I love the songs we sang. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I am who you say I am. You know what a lot of people in this world want to hear? They want to hear that there's a place for them. Mental health issues in the workplace have now, just this week, become part of the Surgeon General's warning, like cigarettes. Mental stress in the workplace is a big deal. People need somebody to say to them, you're beautiful, you're worthy, you're worth it. And maybe that's why, over the last hundred years, one of the best-selling books is a book about making connection. It's a book about how to make friends. It's a book about how to make your life meaningful. Do you know what that book is? How to Win Friends and Influence People. For almost 100 years, it's been on the bestseller list. Can you believe that? Amazing. And if you look on the screen, it shows that it's still for sale on Amazon, still as a bestseller. And there are over 75,000 reviews. That's pretty good. You'd like that, Pastor Jeremy, for one of your books. I am reading some of his books, and they're very good. But so far, not 75,000 reviews. Not yet. And guess what the reviews say? I started reading them. Most of them say, my life was changed by reading this book. I've made friends. I've learned how to reach out to people. I've learned how to be sensitive to people. And this is what the negative reviews say. You want to hear about them? The negative reviews say this. If you live by this book, you will become a doormat of society. And the same reviews go on to say this. As I read the book, I wished everyone around me would live like this. Isn't that funny? That they did not want to be the one that served society, but they wished that everybody around them would serve them. How to win friends and influence people. It's something we've always wanted to know so that we can make connections, so that we can find our place in this world. And believe it or not, Dale Carnegie was not the first person to write a book about that subject. In fact, there's one in the Bible. And it's the one we have been studying in our series, First Peter. And we come to a passage today about how to win friends and influence people. So if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Peter, it's towards the back of your Bible. You have a pew Bible, maybe you can use that. I want to just first of all back up and say let's give a general overview about the book of 1 Peter. I'm sorry my mic is acting up, it's because of my scarf, my beautiful scarf. I don't know what to do about it. Maybe move it. This is the general outline of the book of 1 Peter. We've covered the first part. 
salvation. You have been saved. You have been called out. You have been set apart from this world. You are connected in a new building to Jesus, who is the cornerstone. And this is going to shape everything in your life. Salvation is the first part of the book. Now we come to the middle chunk of the book. The part that I'm saying is about how to win friends and influence people. And the middle part of the book is about submission which might not be what we think should be the outflow of salvation. Why should salvation lead to submission? Shouldn't it lead to exaltation? But we will see salvation leads to submission. Why? Because we are living in this world that is difficult. And the only way to get along is to learn to follow the path of Jesus, which is to submit. And there's worse. Suffering is coming. And maybe as you look at your world, and you look around, and you see it, you think, this is not getting better. We are living in the midst of suffering, and maybe it's going to get worse. We can see polarization in the world, even in the church. And so this middle section of what Peter wants to tell us is so crucial. How do we live as people of salvation in the midst of suffering in an oppositional world? How do we live in a way that helps us to win friends and influence people? And guess what? He says, it's possible. So isn't that good news? This is the context of 1 Peter. It's written to believing Gentiles, as you know. They're living under strict Roman rule. It's written to often marginalized people in society who are now within the faith. It's written in a world of paterfamilias, Latin word, where man was law. The big guy was the boss. Everything he said went within the household system. It's written in a world of change and confusion into which had come a new freedom. And that freedom was making them a little confused too. And it's written by Peter, who had learned about submission by the example of Jesus and by his own experience. So that's what we are looking at right now. The context of 1 Peter, that's what it is. Now you remember Peter, right? You remember what he was like? How he was back in the early days when Jesus called him and he first became a disciple? You remember what his life was like, how impetuous he was, how quick to follow, how quick to answer. He was rash, but he was real, and that was fantastic. And then at the end of Jesus' life, he wasn't just rash and real. He was rebellious. He fought against the high priest's servant. Remember, he cut off his ear. This is the Peter that is writing this book about submission. Remember that? And then, when Jesus was on trial at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, what did Peter do? He hid in the shadows. 
and he reneged on Jesus. He said, I don't know him. He turned his back on him. And this is the one that says you need to follow the pattern of Jesus? What changed? And how did he get there? And how can we follow that example? Peter says it needs to go through all of life. You can win friends and influence people on all levels of life. You need to do it with the government and with authority. Don't ignore them. You need to do it in your work and in your employment. Don't pretend it doesn't exist, even if you wish it didn't. You need to do it in your home and in your relationships. That's the foundation of your life. And you need to do it within Christian community. You need to live a consistent life of submission in all of these places. The foundation for it is salvation. And if you don't have that in your life, you're never going to be able to submit. You're never going to be able to follow this pattern. So ask yourself first, has the salvation of Christ entered my soul? Does his spirit live within me? If so, listen on. If not, open your heart to him. The other morning, I was driving my son Elliot to work. He works at J.J. Bean in Yaletown. Early morning shift, so I said, I'll drive you instead of him taking the bus like he usually does. And as I came back, I passed a big house with a lovely gate in front of it. And a man was walking up to the gate. And he looked like a gardener. He walked up to this big gate like he was going to go inside. And just before the gate, he stopped, he touched his hat, and he bowed his head. And he stood still for two seconds. Then he raised his head, put back his shoulders, opened the gate, and went inside to his day's work. And my mind immediately went to this passage in 1 Peter, which talked about submitting yourself to the one you work for, to stand at the gate of your job or of your day or whatever you're getting into and bow your head and let go of your own agenda and then go in and plant a garden and make a difference and do your work. He was a beautiful example and he had no idea anyone was watching him. A gardener could do that. It reminded me that at the end of his life, Jesus also was in a garden. Do you remember that? In the garden of Gethsemane. And in the garden, Jesus bowed his head. And he said, Father, I don't want to do this job. Can you take it away from me? And the father said, nothing to him at that moment that we know. And Jesus said, but not my will, but yours be done. And he gave the authority to his father. He asked it more than once. 
You can petition even in a life of submission. You can. But then you bow before the gate of the job ahead of you and you say, yes, I will. And Jesus did. And because of that, he brought salvation to the whole world. And he calls us to follow him. Now, in this world of 1 Peter, many people had started following Jesus. They had heard the message. They had received the gospel. And they really, really wanted it. Because they were the marginalized of society, a lot of them. They were the ones who nobody wanted, who couldn't say, in my father's house, there's a place for me. They had a place in the house, but it didn't feel like their house. And they were probably even feeling invisible and unseen. So they wanted the gospel. And it came into their lives and it transformed them. But then they thought, now my spirit is free. What am I supposed to do? I'm living in this society where nothing's free, where everything is under authority. What do I do with it? And it's to them that Peter wrote to tell them how to live in society. And this is what he said. This is the passage that we're going to go through today. Second, 1 Peter 2.13 to 3 verse 9. He says, stay in society. They thought, shall I leave? Shall I try to get out of it? Shall I rebel? Stay in society, said Peter. And then he said, submit to society. Don't stay in it as a rebel, as a complainer. Submit to it. And then he said, serve your savior. That's the way you are going to be able to submit in your society. Serving the one who is above, the one who knows you, the one who loves you, the one who is beautiful and says, I have a place for you in my home. And support your sisters and brothers in faith. So now I've given you the whole outline of what we're going to look at today, and now we're going to dive straight into scripture. So, 1 Peter 2, verse 13, let's start there. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the first thing that Peter tells them. Stay in society, and this is how you're supposed to treat government. We all kind of need to hear that. We all have issues and dealings with government. And what he says, even in the land of emperors who made you feel like you were nothing and they were God, to whom you had to bow down, to whom you had to give utter allegiance, who sent governors to rule you, as it says in the scripture, sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. And Josephus writes, he's a historian from that time, he writes, those governors were like blood-sucking flies, if you can believe it. 
And Peter says, submit yourselves to them. Just like Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. So that's the answer for how to deal with government, how to live in the world. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to human authority. Structures in the world are not anti-God. God loves structure. It's important to have structures in our world, and we need to submit as much as we can to do good. Now, because Christians had started to question whether or not they still needed to live under the authority of the government, that's why people were talking about them and saying that they were rabble-rousers. And so Peter says to them, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves and silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. That's how to live in the world around you. Put things in their proper place. Then we carry on to the next passage. Slaves. It was a world of massive slavery. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable, remarkable before God. To this you were called because... Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. This is how he speaks to slaves. Slaves, because of your fear for God, submit yourself to your employer. Yes, you are free in your soul, but there's jobs to do. He carries on. Jesus committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Isaiah says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, slaves, by his wounds, you have been healed from your wounds. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Is Peter commending slavery? Some people think, why didn't he say, get rid of slavery, slaves, rise up, revolt? Peter has deeper things going on that he's thinking about. He's not commending slavery. The fact that he writes to slaves, the fact that he recognizes slaves, is seen as incredible. They were the invisible of society. Peter's writing to them and saying, I know you're free. This is how to get along, how to make friends and influence people in your society. It's by submitting, like Jesus did, who came as a servant of all. Peter carries on. 
and it gets deep and thick. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the purity of their wives when they see your purity and reverence of of life. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So what is going on over here? And why do wives have to submit themselves to their husbands? It's a big question and has been one through the eras. F.B. Myers explains that the poets and historians of the Roman Empire paint in the blackest colors the utter disregard of the marriage tie, the abominable and shameless immorality which sapped the foundation of the state and led to its fall. That was the way that the Roman Empire worked. He says, women had been degraded for centuries, and often that continues where Christianity has not come. They were supposed to be destitute of souls. Women have no souls, they thought. They were the drudge and the slave. They were a toy. They were a piece of property, valuable or not, as the case may be. But, and he uses beautiful language, like a ray of dawn, there came the teaching of the gospel. Woman was declared to be the helpmate of the man, to be his companion, not lower than him, but taken from his side. In Christ was neither male nor female. The Holy Spirit showed no partiality, but endowed the women of the early church equally with the men. The Lord himself had let women into the inner circle of his friendship and had called out their noblest attributes. And... As these local women saw this vision and responded to the call of Jesus, there was hesitancy in the early church. What should they do? How should they live? Kind of the same as the slaves. Should they leave their husbands? Should they change their behavior to their husbands now that they knew they were equal, now that Christ had set them free? Should they assume superiority because they were followers of Christ and tell their husbands what to do? No, says the apostle. Stay where you are with such a spirit that their hearts might be softened even if they've never heard the gospel. And they may be won without preaching by the beauty of your inward life. So you see, this is speaking to these women in these circumstances and gives a new slant to the passage. It's not that the Bible teaches that women are less than men and so must submit to all men. It's talking about these wives who are believers with their Gentile husbands. How can they win them? How can they win friends and influence people? By being submissive and loving and gentle and good. To submit is to know. You need to know who you're speaking to and relate appropriately. And what about the clothing part? Not to draw attention with finery or jewels. You see, in that culture, men could take anyone they wanted. Women here, there, everywhere. Boys, children, slaves, anybody. It was a terrible world. 
And so a woman whose husband was straying might try to find all kinds of external beauty to draw him back once she realized she was a person of worth. Alluring outfits, cosmetic procedures, desperate measures for desperate housewives. Or she might console herself with purchases. After all, aren't a diamond a girl's best friend? But Peter says, the sparkle inside you of gentleness and goodness will speak much louder than a jewel, much more beautiful than any clothing you can put on. That's what will make you look different and outstanding. He uses Sarah as an example. And he says, this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. And we might think about the story of Sarah and Abraham and wonder why that example. Abraham wasn't always terrific to Sarah. Let's face that fact. But Sarah had received a promise from God. You will have a son in your old age. And it was to that that Sarah submitted when she went into Abraham and called him Lord and conceived a child and gave birth to the promise that then led to the promise of all the ages. So be like Sarah, says God. Know that I have promised you new life. Know that I have promised you influence. And submit to my word. He carries on, and this is the part that was pretty astounding for people in that time, that Peter would write to husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. These were believer husbands. These were husbands whose way of life should reflect the equality of Jesus in their household. So what did they have to do? They had to be considerate. Well, that was something new for these guys. They didn't know that they had to consider the people around them. They only had to consider themselves. And now they had to open their eyes and see and care and feel. True submission is an act of consideration. What does that person need? Let me help them. And this is what the husband is called to do. Get to know your wife. Understand her temperament, her quirks, her needs, her strengths, her longings. And then it says, live with her. Many husbands shared a house with their wives who ran their domestic life, but they didn't share life with her. Husbands are called to share life with their wives, do things together, work toward a common mission or goals, enjoy things together, struggle together. This can still be a problem. Husbands and wives not really living together. We hear of people finding solace, and not just hear of people, we are people who find solace in our screens. I had a pastor friend once who said, a TV in the bedroom is very bad for sleep and for sex. I think he's right. Maybe we should add that to screens. How can you be close to one another 
instead of dividing yourselves and going into different parts of the world. Why should the husband do this? Because the wife is the weaker partner, which could mean the more delicate, the more sensitively aware, the more in tune to spiritual things that he needs to hear. At least at that time when men were unused to being considerate or aware of others or God's whisper. And also physically weaker. So she shouldn't have to shoulder all the heavy burdens of daily living like maybe she had been. That should be shared. Also, she was an heir. Not something usually said about a woman in that time. An heir of the highest order, an heir of grace, a divine inheritance. And only if the husband united with his wife, submitting to her strengths and needs, supporting her, could his prayers be heard. Because God saw that relationship as reflective of this relationship. Peter closes with this. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And this is how to live amongst each other in the church. Now you might say, what if you live this life of submission and it doesn't work out? What if the person that I'm living with continues to be unkind? What if I feel like this is intolerable? Then you come to your community who is there to support you and you submit the question to them. You can't make these decisions by yourself. We are here for each other. Peter's readers were living with uncertainty and perhaps a worsening situation in relation to wider society. And Peter is saying, do not let these difficult times bring out the worst in you, but bring out the qualities of Jesus Christ. Authentic living has things to drop and things to do. Now, earlier in 1 Peter, we learned what to drop. This is how to shift from what you were to who you are. Remember back in 1 Peter 2, verse 1, you were full of malice, guile, insincerity, envy, and slander. But now you are full of unity of mind and spirit together. You're full of sympathy, love for one another, compassion, and humility. Live into that, says Peter. But why bother? Why bother in the midst of society? Why bother to win friends and influence people? Wouldn't it be better to just stay in my room and let life go by? Where will it lead? And what if it doesn't work? So that's where we're going now. It starts with personal salvation. It leads to a life of submission, just like the life of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, in the context of suffering, and it leads to ultimate salvation. So here we get a sneak peek of the end of the story. Submission in suffering ends with a song. The book of Revelation tells us they sang 
when the Lamb stepped forward to unroll the scroll of the end of the ages, the scroll that would rewrite history and tell a new story. They sang and said, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. You are worthy in God's eyes. Why? Because you submit. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made friends and influenced people everywhere. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. A new era is coming. Then I looked, says John, who wrote the Revelation, and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. You're not alone in following him. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, the one who is slain is on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So that's why we should win friends and influence people through a life of submission like Jesus. So here's our call. Stay in society. Don't back out. Submit in all these different areas with the calling of God upon you. Serve people. Serve within your household and support the church and other believers and missions. That's where you should do it, in government, in employment, in home relationships, and in Christian community. How can you do it? By the power of salvation, in the midst of suffering, with a song. And so now we come to sing, to worship, to praise. Let's first of all bow our hearts in submission to God as the worship team comes. Lord God, we thank you that you call us to this challenging life. We thank you that you call us into freedom in Jesus. We thank you that you say society is what it is. And I call you to be a light and to be a witness in the world. Give us grace, give us persistence, so that we can do your work. Give us submissive hearts, listening to your spirit at all times, so that your word might go forward and we might win friends and influence people for you. In Jesus' name, amen.